everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the MetaPortal podcast with Dark Forest Capital and Verto. There's been a lot happening in the metaverse space of late, um, so we're going to talk through some of the things that have kind of caught our eye, some interesting stories, uh, and then move on to some some topics that we've been discussing and that we find interesting ourselves. I think we're looking to produce more podcasts in this format as we go along, um, a little bit shorter hopefully shorter at least, and uh, a bit more informal. So we'll see how it goes today and keep an ear out for more like this in the future. Um, first up, I want to ask you, AG, as we always do, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, GN and, and GM to all the all the listeners. Uh, doing well. I think uh, looking forward to sort of bringing back this the structure that we used to have on on the very first Index Cop uh, podcast that, that you and I did together. And uh, I think there's there's a lot of conversations that we sort of have on, on Metaverse, right? In the process of managing the, the Metaverse Index as well as writing content and, and sort of looking at some of the investments that we look at. And I think it could be really interesting and, and hopefully valuable um, to have some of these conversations or at least like snapshots of these conversations in, in, in a podcast format in, in the public domain. So looking forward to, to, to do this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we're going to struggle keeping it to time, but um, yeah, let's see how we go. So if we start with sort of things that have been in the news first, the most obvious one at this point is uh, talking about Facebook and their, rebranding to Meta um, and what that means for the space generally. For us, obviously, it had a massive impact on MVI. We saw um, assets under management shoot up, you know, 20, 25 million, basically from, from 25 million in total up to nearly $50 million, um, that is. So a huge announcement. You might accuse me of being an apologist for, for Facebook, but I watch some clips of um, Mark talking about, you know, what they're going to bring out. And I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to make it open. They're going to do things right. I think the incentives are there for them to do that. Time will tell, of course. I'm not going to jump straight in. Uh, as somebody that hasn't used Facebook for like four years at this point, I'm not desperate to go and give away all my um, virtual data again. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But um you're not quite on the same page, I don't think, AG. Well, I certainly don't don't trust them, right? Uh, but it's interesting because the way you can you can look at this move by by Facebook, right, is is partially defensive. Like they are losing a lot of people in in the younger generation, and I think. I think Mark probably sees the writing on the wall in terms of Web three, and and so with with Web three, like for for platforms like Facebook, there's no there's really no no space for them, right? So they have to pivot. The question I have, and I, I forgot who who wrote about this, but. Is basically talking about for like in Web two, if you're a platform, right? You start off by basically uh, giving everything away for free, right? And and you make 
and you make the, pl- the, the platform open, you make it open to uh, content creators, you make it open and free for users. And so you just like, you make it as frictionless as possible to onboard as many people on the supply and demand side. And then once you've got to a certain scale, you start to extract value, right? So you have the attract phase and then you have the extract phase once you got big enough, right? Once, once you scaled. And that's what most Web2 platforms do. And that's what Facebook has done um, really well throughout its existence. And the question is, obviously, now they're pivoting to the attract side of things with web3 was with uh, massive investments in in vr and and in in the metaverse uh narrative and and so they're going to try to position themselves as this place where everyone can come and is going to be interoperable you're going to have ownership and it's it's going to be amazing right so they're trying to attract all of these people that they have been losing in in web2 but the question is whether once they do attract some people, they start extracting value again. And, and that's where hopefully Web3 prevents them from actually getting into that sort of behavior because hopefully you can take your assets and leave, right? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not giving them benefit of a doubt not no way in hell, but I do hope that with the way Web3 is built and, and the incentive dynamics and the structures in Web3, I hope they will not be able to be too extractive by design. That's that's my hope there. Yeah, I saw a similar take that um, gave a slightly different motivation, but was, was basically saying that it was a dig at Apple and Apple's um, sort of walled garden, walled ecosystem, whatever you want to call it, the fact that it's closed off, whereas if Facebook approached this from, yeah, we're going to build it open from the start, then they can actually start to try and steal users away from from Apple and whatever Apple might come up with. Um, So I guess we're going to probably see all of the tech giants like move in this direction. Facebook's taken the first leap and is saying all the right words, but we're going to have to watch closely to see whether they actually, um, you know, build to the sort of attitudes and, and standards that we're used to as crypto natives now, where we prefer everything to be open source and um, community, like collaboration. These are all things that, that we really value. And whether, you know, the 2 billion people that are still apparently using Facebook uh, basically just take the easiest route because they don't care. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many questions that, that we could ask and, and talk about. A second order effect of this that I'm pretty pleased about is the it's it's given us like a rallying cry in crypto to sort of form around. Look, these these things are coming, big tech is coming, and if we don't get our shit together within crypto, you know, we're not going to have anything to fight with. Um, we can't just rely on the fact that yeah, decentralization is great, ownership of your assets, blah blah blah. A lot of people don't either don't care or don't understand about that stuff. So without us all building on the same, you know, the same infrastructure, using the same tools, making sure that we work together, we're not actually going to have, or we're not going to be able to take the fight to the likes of, of Meta or whoever else comes next. So 
yeah, I'm pleased to see that. Um, I personally bid on uh, Matthew Ball, who's uh, Metaverse Primer. We're actually rewriting for MetaPortal at the moment, trying to simplify. He's put his original uh, Metaverse essay, um, what is what is the Metaverse, where to find it, and who will build it. He's put that out as a, a party bid, so you can actually go and bid alongside everybody else to uh, to win that as an NFT. And then what he's saying is that um, they'll create open meta a DAO with everybody who's contributed to that um to basically take that fight and start to you know collaborate on what the open metaverse looks like so that's really cool um i'm happy that that sort of reaction has taken place and and we'll see where it goes from here yeah i think like you said kind of seen quite a few people um speak up about open metaverse and and the necessity to really focus on on building open metaverse and and i think is definitely getting more attention uh, now which which is sort of crucial i think part of the work that we are doing by sort of simplifying and and studying um matthew's primer is trying to understand what the open metaverse stack looks like right and and then trying to also understand where we are in in the development of different parts of that stack, which hopefully will tell us like where we need to focus attention and resources as as a community in terms of our ability to build sort of a, a competitive a, a competitive structure or a competitive metaverse to 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 you know the more centralized and uh, kind of closed off alternatives that are built by sort of the traditional companies. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be definitely very important over the next several years. And uh, but kind of like what we spoke about, right? I think I think that it's going to be really challenging for centralized um, players to to build to build a closed system and retain, like attract and retain users, right? Like one of the powers of Web3 is tokens, right? An ability to issue tokens to incentivize uh, certain behaviors. And, and I think once we sort of get people into this ecosystem, they're not really leaving. So um, I don't know, I don't see Microsoft just creating a token and then listing it on Uniswap, they might create it in like the their closed off ecosystem, but that's obviously not the same. And and now more and more people are coming around to that idea and that understanding. That's enterprise blockchain, bro. Well, uh, we'll get there one day, sure. It'll be interesting, like if it's integrated, right? Like if it's interoperable with um, non-enterprise, uh, like open open world, like Decentraland or whatever. Or even like there could be, you know, like a virtual world for businesses that is built by a, a DAO, right? Like a, a decentral land for business. And if that's integrated uh, seamlessly with Microsoft's uh, products, like that, that would be amazing. I have nothing against that, but it's like the, the closing off of these ecosystems is what like I have a problem with.
Yeah, I mean, we've seen precedent for it in DeFi already with the Compound Chain and um, Aave, what do they call it, Aave Pro or Arc? I can't remember what it's called now. But um, yeah, these these bridges to allow you know people who play by the rules in the real world to, to come in and, and play in our sandbox. Yeah, I'm not against it as a as a an idea. I'm against the term enterprise metaverse, though. Nothing gives me shivers more than hearing that term uh, repeated. It it sounds horrible. Uh, so I wanted to move on and sort of say that it's not just media attention that we've been seeing on the metaverse recently, and we've had floods of capital coming in. Recently, Axie have raised uh, Series B at $152 million, obviously led by everybody's favorite A16Z, um, million dollars just last week, I think, um, around the same time as the Meta announcement. So they really sort of captured some hype at that point. Um, so, oh yeah, that was led by SoftBank. So we're getting, you know, big names from the traditional world, traditional funds coming in, starting to allocate to these things. And it's just, yeah, if this isn't a, a super cycle, then I don't know what is because it's just the numbers are, are becoming insane. You know, we've got projects like Alluvium with FDVs of, you know, over $10 billion fully diluted valuation um, when they haven't even launched a game. And who even knows when they will, to be honest. It could be six to 12 months from now, given how ambitious they are. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I think some things can probably justify their valuation. Um I know you're quite excited to see Sandbox go live. Axie, obviously, it's the the king. So everybody talks about it. Um, but at $45 billion, fully diluted, it's uh, yeah, it's starting to get pretty rich. So um, my personal feeling is that we are going to go through a trough of disillusionment at some point on all this. Like If you remember back to when we started talking about MVI and launching an index, a metaverse index, uh, we've just seen the space pump between like December and January, um, January 2021, that is, uh, five or six X, and then it cooled off again. But I think this is the big one. Like I think what we're seeing now is is the big pump, and maybe next year these things uh, come back down to earth for a little while while the teams build, deliver, and everybody's got catching up to do, basically, to Axie. So by the end of the year, we could have a number of projects that are live, and that's when I think that the space will really start to justify those valuations. I think some of that is fair. I, I, I don't think that like by the end of the year we'll have a situation that's gonna be any different from what it is what it is now, right? I think like we see um gaming projects raise a lot of money, right? Like left left and right. A sixteen Z, they obviously invested in Yield Guild as well. They just raised like a massive fund. Uh, Bitcraft did as well. So, like there is, there is a lot of capital flowing into this stuff, right? But it takes a long time to deliver a good game, <laughs> like, um, and you got to overlay it with the fact that everyone is trying to figure out like their infrastructure solution right whether they're launching on polygon or binance or solana or immutable or building their own chain like all of that takes time i also think that all of the teams that are raising capital and building games now are not really 
NFT gaming experts. Like no one is, right? Like I think Axie is probably one of very few teams that have actually been building an NFT game for a while now. And so I think teams will just run into a lot of execution um, issues. And, and like you said, the valuations for some of these things without a product um, are quite insane. And that's not to say they can't go up further from here, but we are going to go through a trough where everyone is going to be sitting around being like, I just paid $10 billion for this thing and, and it hasn't delivered or they have delivered and they're not seeing any adoption, right? Um, so it's going to be interesting. Like another question is, okay, if there is 10 or 20 play-to-earn games tomorrow, is there enough people to play them all, right? Who are capable to be onboarded right now? And and I don't know, I don't know the answer, right? And there, there is also this other question that I have around like, okay, if... For you to play a game, um, you need to invest money into it or you need to buy a piece of hardware. Like, how realistic is that? Like, you and I can can buy a piece of hardware or can buy some in-game assets, but are we really going to sit around and play, like, five different play-to-earn games? Like, if they're not, like, awesome and, and fun and amazing, like, what Illuvium is, is promising, right? Like, we're not. So then all of these games need to develop scholarship systems or systems where uh, those assets can be rented out. And, and that is another technological uh, undertaking that I don't know how many of those guys are thinking through. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think we are 12 months away from like actually having some decent games come onto market. And I think in the meantime, we're going to see a lot of disillusionment and, and a lot of uh, timelines that have been pushed back and a lot of things that have been delivered that are not up to, up to standard that they've been sort of promoted or marketed to. A nice uh, sober message for all the listeners there that we're going to see a ton of disillusionment in the space over the next few months. I guess to combat that, on the positive side, we are seeing uh, projects like DG with their ice wearables uh, launch successful like play to earn schemes. And I think that that really taps into what you were just saying, where I think the key for these games is having the two distinct two distinct groups where you have owners and players so there are people with more time than money and there are people with more money than time and that's what's creating this market where um, somebody who can grind can can sell assets that are worth you know that help people level up or are worth something within that environment and those who don't have the time but already have the capital can obviously buy those to you know make their progress through the game or you know upgrade whatever it might be um that, that they're after so i think that uh those economies and those like machines engines whatever you want to call it they're going to keep running throughout of all of this and the ones that really work will come out the other side looking great and in that trough that's where you want to be 
doing your due diligence and finding which one of the, these models works really well. Um, if if we do have a down period, a quiet period, which one has the you know the players that stick around? Um, do they all leave because actually it's not that fun to be involved with it generally? And uh, and I think that's something that we have talked about as well. Is you can't just well, currently you can just add play to earn to whatever it is you're doing and get a load of interest in it. But longer term, if you don't design a game that is fun to play, then you're not going to have the community stick around any longer than it is profitable to do so. So it's getting all of these things right, really. Um, and yeah, even if it sounds a bit miserable to say, that that period where it does go quiet, that's where you you know, you earn your salary, basically. If you're in crypto and you've got the time to have a look at what's going on, you can figure out what's good, what's not, what's going to last and, what, and what's going to disappear. Um, and that's where there's real money to be made, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, with uh, Decentral Games and, and their their design, right? Like they, they, build, they build their own, basically, delegation system uh, specifically for this, right? That allows, so basically the, the way play to earn works with the central games is if you own one of these uh, wearables and you go into their sort of play to earn, um, casino environment, there are some quests and challenges that you can do, and then you get rewarded for those, but you can only do that if you own one of the wearables, right? And so what they did, they built, they built their own delegation system that allows anyone to delegate that particular wearable to someone else without that wearable ever leaving uh, your wallet, right? So as, as an owner, like you don't really take any risk and you don't need to spend hours doing it yourself. And um, so far, obviously, the they've only released 500 wearables so it's pretty limited edition they also have an interesting burn mechanism where you can burn their in-game token to upgrade those wearables so it's things like that it's you need to first off build a balanced ecosystem but you you like you almost have to optimize for scholars like you have to optimize for the ability to rent out or delegate assets to someone else to play them i think that's going to be that's going to be key. And as someone who has set up a scholarship for Axie Infinity, I imagine the sound of that delegation um, system is music to your ears, really, because from what I understand, it's, it's you've got to jump through a few hoops to kind of get set up with Axie, and you have to create accounts for every new scholar. Um, it sounds quite difficult, but yeah, like you say, with this solution that they've come up with at DG, if that's like a straightforward contract then and other games start using it, then it's going to make that process much simpler, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know how how portable their solution is um, to, to other ecosystems or other games. But uh, for example, like um, YGG in, in their white paper, right, talk about the fact that there is currently no token standard that allows you to to do rentals. So I think if you look at uh, a re-NFT that does do rentals, they basically, I think, lock... It's like a collateralized let, rental, right? I think they they lock certain amount in in the escrow. So it's it's similar to sort of 
buying um buying an nft or, or getting a loan to buy an nft it's not like delegation is obviously uncollateralized the way the axie scholarships work right now it's is not collateralized and 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 so yeah, so the IGG was basically saying that there's currently no token standard to do uncollateralized NFT renting. And, and that's sort of holding, not holding them back, but it's making their job more complicated because they need to manage these scholarships in, in sort of databases, right? So that's like another one of those like primitives that needs to be developed that once developed will supercharge the space. But in the meantime, limits adoption in in certain ways and with all this talk of renting out your nfts loaning them whatever um it's kind of tangentially related to something that we discussed a little while back which was the thought that losing your nfts would be like much more painful than getting hacked for erc20 tokens um thankfully like touchwood this is just a thought experiment for me because i haven't you know i haven't had any misfortune yet but i was thinking yeah, you know, if, if somebody hacked my wallet and took all my money, that would be very painful. But if they hacked my wallet and took all of my NFTs, you know, some of them are, are there. POAPs are a great example. They're there because I've I've done something on chain or even in the real world and have a like a proof of that, a proof of attendance protocol, it's called. So the clues in the name. Um so it'd be really painful to like lose to lose that side of things and it's just an interesting thought that came up. You know, it's it's when you start to really consider these things, it's there's more like an emotional side to NFTs than there is with ERC twenties. Certainly, I would still be emotionally attached to to my money, of course. But um, yeah, when when it's something that's or if it's art, and you know, if you've bought art because you like it, then you have that emotional attachment to it, and so losing it is just going to be even more painful. So I guess this is part. Uh, public service announcement where we say uh, scams are pretty rife at the moment in discord uh, on twitter so yeah just just be careful but um yeah emotional attachment to nfts is a uh, is something i haven't really seen people talk about too much but it's it's definitely there but there would be i suppose some nfts that you own that you wouldn't really have that deep of an attachment to right and also like i think it's much harder to get rid of an NFT, right? If you if you hacked a wallet and there's a bunch of NFTs, like you need to go and list them, right? And then probably listing below floor, you need to hope that someone buys it. Like otherwise it can get, I don't know, like it, people can flag it or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I think if I, if I think about what's like in, in, what NFTs I own, I'm probably going to be like, okay, if I lose 70% of them, to be honest. Yeah, your collection is fairly, fairly terrible. It is, it is horrific. It's all right, though, it only lost uh, 60% or so. So it's, uh, it's not, it's not the worst out there. Standard crypto drawdown there. Standard <laughs> NFT winter market. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I think, um, if you start if you start having a certain nft as as sort of your online personality then how yeah like how can you sell it right like how do you go and actually sell that nft or 
ha- like it, it does carry like a level of emotional attachment where even if you bought it for 10 ETH and it's at one ETH, but it's like your personality online, like you're not selling it, which I think is going to be an interesting dynamic for some of the uh, sort of blue chip, blue chip uh, top tier collections, but probably is less of a factor for, for less sort of um, important stuff, I would say. Mm. I guess the other consideration is if this goes where we think it's going to go, um, what you've done on chain in the past could be, you know, it forms part of your identity. It could be useful in the future for gaining access to communities, discords, uh, competitions, whatever it might be. And it would it would have to be a pretty devastating hack where you kind of like lose con- total control of your wallet. Because um, like you say, some of these things are either hard to sell or people wouldn't even bother selling them. But if you were to lose access um, one way or another, and in a couple of years' time we're, we're using these things to actually gate access to, to certain things, then it's yeah it becomes even more painful because suddenly you can't you don't have a provable history anymore. It's a fair way off, but it's just you know if we start to extrapolate and think about where these things end up, it just amplifies the effect of like the pain of that. Or if if you just did something as simple as losing your keys to your wallet, then it's uh, game over because all of that history that you've bought, built up over time just just goes away in an instant. I'm kind of thinking that I think that at some point you should be able to have sort of your online virtual personality with multiple wallets attached to it, right? In, in, in terms of like history. And so if it's not just like, if you have like three different vo- three different wallets attached to, to your like ape, right? And then even if one wallet is no longer operational, you can still look at the history in that wallet. So maybe that's something that that mitigates this. But yeah, as you said, I think if you've been doing stuff on chain for two years, and then projects start to use on chain activity as as a resume, um, and it becomes widespread, and you lose access to that wallet, it's it's yeah, it's really quite quite challenging. But perhaps there is a way to like for you to prove that you are the rightful owner of that wallet in some way. Yeah, I think that's where these uh, solutions like Bright ID come in. Decentralized identity and uh, what is it, Sybil? Something, something to do with Sybil, like proof of proof of humanity, proof of who you are, basically, and linking those things together. So we're we're starting to see the the very like grassroots of these things pop up, and I'm sure that there will be solutions like the one that you talked about. I guess in the short term, the best thing to do is use a smart contract wallet like Argent. Uh, Vitalik has talked about it a few times and it seems like the way to go um, in order to improve security and reliability of your, you know, not losing your keys. Um, I think that, yeah, that would be the short term solution. But uh, yeah, I think it's just fun to fun to sort of consider these things as they are so early on. How are they going to develop? And some of the smartest people on the planet are, are coming into crypto. So I have faith that there will be solutions along the way. Did you want to cover quickly um, some of our discussions around 
definitions for metaverse projects and, and what we've been talking about in terms of defining what goes into the metaverse index? Yeah, so it's obviously something we've worked on for uh, a couple of weeks now, and uh, it's been it's been interesting. And and so uh, give a bit of of a background at the moment for uh, for metaverse index, we're using CoinGecko uh, categories, right? And um, it's it's a bit challenging for us because we don't know how like the definitions for those categories, we don't know the process, if like projects are analyzed in 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 any way or in, in what depth to be given a certain categories. So we've been sort of working on uh, coming up with uh, our own categories that we're gonna we're gonna start using um, eventually. And so yeah, one of the interesting ones was um, gaming versus virtual worlds, right? And and because like you can say and and what that actually like effectively comes down to is the difference between gaming and playing, right? Because you do go into a virtual world to play. And it might be social play, it might be other other type of play. So and and so we were really trying to identify what is the difference between gaming and playing because it they they feel a bit different but it's really hard initially to put our finger on it and and figure out like what that difference um is and so what we arrived at eventually was basically that gaming right playing games um is usually a pretty structured activity with with a desired outcome. So you, you usually like there are rules in the game, and you're supposed to do this and do that, and you're supposed to achieve something and and maybe get to the next level or get a certain number of kills or get to a certain location. And so it's very kind of structured and um, rules based, and there is like an outcome but with playing that's not really the case like playing is is the objective right like your your purpose is is to play there's usually no uh structure it's usually way more open-ended and and so like you can have games within the play but the play itself is sort of very um, freestyle, so to speak. And so, yeah, that was that was very interesting conversation. And I'll leave the um, finite games versus infinite games analogy to you, since uh, you you love to talk about it. But that's uh, yeah, that's effectively how we how we split it up. Which um, yeah, I was quite I was quite excited. Like it was it was very interesting conversation yeah it was good to have that back and forth uh, the the sort of example that i got hung up on but actually proved to be like the best one to think this through was decentraland because they have this virtual world but you don't say i'm going to go and play decentraland you say i'm, I'm going to go and jump in or i'm going to go and join this event or whatever so it, it has games within it like you can go to a decentral games casino and, and play poker 
or you can go and play the there's like a slot car racing game i'm sure there are others there, there are even like games within the environment environment itself where people have built things that you have to jump on and like movable objects that you have to um, rearrange or whatever so you, you can play games within the virtual world but like you said the objective is just to be there and to explore it and to enjoy uh, playing it for, for the sake of the play itself so there's no there's no score there's no okay i'm going to go into decentraland and try and you know collect some gold coins or level up my ca character there's none of that you don't have to go to a specific location to, to unlock anything you just wander around or even choose somewhere to go and jump straight in there and then figure out what you want to do from there so it, yeah like i say it was a really useful example to figure out our thoughts on it and that made it very clear i think what the difference between gaming and virtual worlds are and, and so we can split the things up between those two categories which makes life a lot easier for us um and then yeah on the the finite and infinite games uh, we've talked about it before for anyone that hasn't read it there's a book called finite and infinite games by james cast and yeah he obviously talks about um you know infinite games being there for the sake of like continuation of the game of play whereas if you're if you play a game it's a finite game like there is an outcome you reach an end you reach a conclusion whatever it is so again you can categorize things um, into those two subsections really so it, it fit quite nicely with how we think about things in in general and yeah that was that was probably the most interesting one i think all the others were, were pretty straightforward and i'm sure something will come along that will um you know throw a spanner in the works and, and straddle the two of them perfectly uh, but for now i think we can categorize most things into into one or the other so yeah that'll be useful we're going to put together a wider document that talks a bit more about you know the, the discussions that we had and then obviously summarizes all of these different categories and for us that's going to be you know i'm pretty excited about it we we use CoinGecko currently for our categorization but putting together something formal like this and starting to take control of you know the definitions of, of what goes into the metaverse index we actually we've kind of redone the the mandate for the mvi as well to talk a bit more broadly about how nfts have to be involved and um how it's like it's not just well, we change from entertainment sports and business to entertainment social activity and business so all of this is part of a reframing like we're only what seven eight months into having launched the product and the space has changed enough that we're having to update our thinking uh, formalize our thinking and yeah it's been it's been fun to do that i'm sure we'll have to do it again at some point next year um which is you know part of what makes this space so exciting i think yeah yeah absolutely i think um Another interesting conversation that we had that we probably need to sort of move to to next week's episode if we're gonna if we're gonna do one is around social tokens and what like what the hell is a social token right and and how like what's the difference between a social token and potentially a, a governance token that basically derives its value partially from the community. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we'll do a little bit more reading, and and we can discuss that in in detail um, 
next week. I think like last thing I wanted to briefly cover perhaps is just like your your thoughts on where we are in in the cycle um not like metaverse cycle but more broadly um crypto cycle and yeah like anything specifically that you're excited about right now yeah this was always a fun part of uh the view from the nest podcast when we did it um i think i got some stick occasionally but my calls were were pretty decent so (laughs) we'll see how long that lasts but uh yeah, I think it's, it's played out as if anyone goes back and listens to those podcasts, as we said at the time, um, we had a cooling off uh, from May to sort of July, I guess. Depends on which area of crypto you're looking at. But um, I think where we are now is obviously we're heading back up. Um, personally, I think until the merge happens, it's going to be good times all around. There will still be sell-offs, but uh, for, for Ethereum and Ethereum-based projects, um, I think the excitement's only growing. We're at, we're at a point now where there's so much going on in crypto that people are being onboarded all the time. Whereas if you look back at 2017, which I think a lot of people are scarred from, yes, myself included, but not too much because I wasn't heavily involved. But that that scarring like leaves a mark and everybody's always waiting for it to just die off for three years again. But I'm there's so much going on in DeFi and NFTs and like now the metaverse it's just you people are finding new ways into this stuff and then politicians are obviously reacting to it it's becoming so big now that they're they're scared big banks are scared big tech is is having to pay attention as well so we're at a point now where I think there's enough momentum that there will be obviously sell-offs and there will be quiet periods but I think it's it's a it's an industry in its own right now, and it's not going away. So yeah, personally, in terms of sort of allocation and holding on to stuff, um, yeah, I'm I'm, in, I'm strapped in for the merge now, and and waiting to see what happens. I think uh, yeah, after that, who knows? Maybe things cool off whilst we onboard a ton of new users. Apps like Argent, if Zappa bring out a wallet, like they're going to be super important. Because even for me, I was obviously moaning to you uh, just yesterday about the UX of trying to do a transaction on Uniswap V3 via MetaMask with a new, the new 1559 uh, transaction type, and it's just painful. Like it's there's no explanation of what's going on, why things are failing, um, how best to like price your transaction. It's just awful, and <laughs> recommending. Ethereum to people to like transact on chain right now is just, yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. Like, I don't like to do it. So, I'm sending people to sort of CFI um, solutions, Celsius, BlockFi, whatever. I really want to be able to say, go to Argent, like, use their layer two ZK sync enabled wallet because they'll be able to on ramp to it. They'll have a bit of safety in terms of what the Argent team have, have chosen for you to be able to interact with on there so you can stake ETH, you can probably provide LP to Uniswap, there might be some USDC vaults or whatever. And so people can get a taste for it in there, in the safety of that wallet. And then they'll probably never need to go anywhere else. That's the experience that I think we should be pointing people towards. And it's not going to come immediately. It's going to take the scaling solutions underneath and it's going to take the the apps themselves on the top. So you know another year or two to to get up and running. But that's I think what powers the next 
you know, 10 to 100x of, of users coming into Ethereum. Yeah, I think uh, we spoke about this and, and I generally don't think that anyone is going to work on UI and UX uh, in the bull market. Like, why? Why would you do that? Um, so I do think that we need... We need a bear market. It, it, it might not be long, right? I don't think it's going to be three years. Like that, that sounds impossible um, to me, but we got a 12 months one. Like current pace of innovation is insane. Like the, the amount of product innovation, amount of people coming in on, on the product side, right? Like not in terms of uh, buying, but in terms of actually building and, and contributing is, is insane. But I do think that we need price hype to die off so that we can refocus. And I like, like I said, I think the next level up is, is the UIs and, and the user experience. So I think, I think that's going to come um, later. Like in terms of the prices, I think I, I'm, I'm still not sure, right. If we, if we have like a, a blow of top somewhere in December, January, and then crash and then, sort of resume upward trend into the merge and, and really top off around around the merge, or if we're just gonna like slowly, slowly grind up with 20, 30% corrections uh, without without that blow off. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I do, like I think you and I tend to agree that we're probably gonna top out somewhere around around the merge maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after, depending on 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 sort of the the price action. And and hopefully, like, I don't know, hopefully then we get a little bit of a quiet period between the merge and and sharding, which I think the latest I heard is probably gonna be about a year between those. So that's that's my current thinking on on it. And like you said, I think good times around for uh, for a little while longer. Awesome. I think that's a good place to wrap it up then. Uh, everybody's bullish, bullish Ethereum, Ethereum community, things are getting built. Uh, minor trough of disillusionment in there somewhere, but overall, uh, yeah, things are looking pretty good. So yeah, thanks for chatting today, AG, and we'll catch everybody next time. Yeah, absolutely.